Hi, Heidi, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing not very well, but uh, but it's it's okay. A bit hoarse, uh, hoarse voice, uh, but it, it it's okay. Okay, uh, uh, Rick. Uh, last time we uh, spoke about uh, your uh, first visit to Russia, and it would be um, uh, interesting for me, and maybe not only for me. Uh, maybe you can uh, tell us uh, about your. Uh, Uh, your work, your, uh, your, 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 your staying in Russia, in, in, in modern Russia, in, uh, ni- uh, in 90s, or maybe uh, you visited Russia also in 20, in, in 2000s, yes, yeah? Right. And you can compare maybe the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the impression of the Soviet Union and of, 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 of Russia, okay? Okay, very good. Yeah, uh, you know, the first time I was in Russia, which was, of course, the Soviet Union, was in 1974. And I was only there in 74 uh, for the summer. And then I went off to Czechoslovakia. And then since I married a, a girl from Czechoslovakia, we concentrated on returning only to Czechoslovakia and to the countries around there. So I never went back to Russia until 1995. So I was gone for 20 years. So it was a rather large block of time. Uh, between the first time I was in, in uh, Russia, Moscow, St. Petersburg, or then Leningrad, and then later on. I would say, um, to give you just a brief background, what I was doing in the 90s is I was the uh, regional manager for AT&T uh, Capital. AT&T is the American Telegraph, American Telegraph and Telephone, the, basically the, the, te- the telecom. Uh, it used to be a monopoly, and of course it's not a monopoly anymore because there's lots of televo- telephone services in the U.S. But it was the, one of the big, uh, uh, what we call uh, big companies, um, uh, one of the large uh, Fortune 500 uh, companies around the world. They, they did more than the telephone service. They had all sorts of manufacturing of equipment. Um, they even owned uh, a firm called NCR, which has the bancomats, the, uh, we call ATMs, automatic teller machines. And so they had a need to finance their production equipment. They were selling uh, all sorts of sophisticated uh, telephone switches uh, around the world. And in Moscow or in Russia, they were selling all sorts of uh, PBX uh, equipment uh, to the large companies, uh, hotels, uh, construction, you name it. Big companies were buying because they have very good uh, high technology for uh, telephony or uh, telephonic equipment. And then, of course, their other company, which was NCR, which belonged to, was in the AT&T group, but they were selling all the bancomats uh, around. And so AT&T Capital, its uh, mission uh, in Central and Eastern Europe, or as it is around the world, was to finance it, was to provide leasing financing. Yeah. And I ran the operations out of Vienna at the time, and we had offices in uh, Czech Republic, in Poland, uh, Vienna, of course, uh, Hungary, and uh, Russia in Moscow. And so that was that was the background. So I was in Moscow once a month because we did, um, out of those five offices, we did probably 30% of our volume in Russia overall. Because, well, you know, you get a big order in, in, in Czech, it might be a million dollars, or Poland, two million, but in Russia, you'd get a big order, it'd be five million. So the volumes were much larger. Now, on the other hand, the risks were harder to, uh, to ascertain, to evaluate. Uh, it was much easier uh, uh, evaluating risk in Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic or Hungary or Poland because they were on Western uh, accounting standards 
and their laws were you know in accord with the EU laws and it was easier it was easier to um, perfect security interest and and uh, and to take your equipment back Russia was it was a big unknown yeah. however we were under a lot of pressure by the other AT&T companies to provide financing because it makes a difference not everybody can afford cash and uh, so we had to do a special lot of work there. So that's basically a little bit of background. Um, now, there's big differences because when I left the USSR in 1974, this was a, in our eyes, in, in our eyes, uh, just a second, uh, it was a country um, that was uh, very highly controlled. Yeah. Uh, number one, uh, there was a lot of you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, it was very hard traveling around. We had a visa, and you had all the places that you wanted to go had to be listed on the visa, which was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, I, I, I remember my German, uh, my German friend uh, couldn't uh, visit me because I live in Sevalers. And Sevalsk is maybe 15 or 20 kilometers from St. Petersburg, and who couldn't? <laughs> well, we had, uh, there was, was very, very there were, ridiculous, there were, yeah. There were places that were off limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To us, uh, I can't remember, there was a famous palace Yeah. that was off limits. It wasn't Petr uh, Dvaretz, it was another one, I can't think of it offhand. However, you had an itinerary, you had to stick to it. It was, it was completely absurd. And when you compare it to the other communist countries, like Poland or Czechoslovakia, or hungry, you got a visa, went everywhere. I mean, obviously, they weren't going to let you go on a military base, okay? Yeah. But who, nobody cares about that. We don't want to see stuff like that. We just want to go to the big cities and see stuff. And so even in comparison to the other communist countries, it was rather absurd. But that was the first thing. So you had a, a world of control, very gray, very limited options on going to restaurants. There were restaurants that were only available for foreigners, and, the, and uh, you couldn't take your Russian friends there. Yeah. That, was, that didn't happen in the other Eastern European countries. That just was unheard of. Because uh, so, I went to Czechoslovakia right afterwards. I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have every city. They said, oh, you get a visa going wherever you want. We don't care. And so we thought, no, there's something really strange about the Soviet Union. Not only is it communist, but it's super communist. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so something We're strange. Yeah. And it was also a very lack of goods. You had the Birioska stores in those days. Now, all the communist countries had them. Uh, Czechs had a thing called Tuzex. Same concept, you know. Uh, and uh, so, you, but there was, there was this. You, you had a lack of consumer goods. Uh, people were very, on the one hand in, in Russia, people, uh, ordinary people on the street were hungry uh, for uh, contact. Uh-huh. So what you had in Russia as compared to Czechoslovakia is in, in Russia, uh, in St. Petersburg or Moscow, you know, as a foreign student, you just ask somebody some directions or a question, how do you get here? You know, how do I get to Kiev, you know, station? Yeah. And they would invite you to their house. Uh-huh. You know, that didn't happen in Czechoslovakia. But that happened in Russia a lot. Uh-huh. People would invite you to their house. They, and uh, you could make friends very easily. Uh, couldn't bring our Russian friends to my dormitory. Yeah. Uh, I did, only because I bribed the Dejournaya. With with some chocolates, you know, and she she was fat and she loved chocolates, yeah. and so she was easily bribed, and so I brought one there. We had some beer and you know some Carlsberg beer from Birioska, which is Danish and that type of thing. Yeah. So that was the one. So it, materially, when you came in in 1995, 
certainly Moscow didn't look like Berlin. It didn't look like Vienna, yeah. but it was a lot better shape than it was before. First of all, people lost their fear of, of saying what they wanted to say. That was the first thing. But materially, you could buy everything. You certainly, by 95, when I came back, you could buy, if you had money, things were expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you wanted to buy stuff in a store, you could get any type of product you wanted. And the restaurants were abundant. Uh, the hotels started to be really good. They had, you know, we wouldn't, we, they, the old Hotel Ukraina in Moscow, Yeah, that was reminiscent of the old days, you know, in the, of the Soviet era. They still look the same. And, of course, when I did travel for the World Bank, we went to a lot of these hotels that had the same old system where you got it went, you signed in and you got a, a key, you got a card and then they had a dejournai on each floor to give you the key to the room. They still have that in the 90s uh, out there, in, you know, in Khabarovsk and places like uh, uh, Perm. Yeah. Uh, but in Moscow, you, it was the same system you have. The only, of course, thing is you still have to have a visa, which is unusual. Uh, yeah, but this is done for political reasons. Uh, it's done for pride, because Russian the Russian government insists upon reciprocity. If our people have to get a visa of your country, your people have to get it, yeah. which is the is the exception in the world. Because to be quite frank with you, in Eastern Europe, most of those Eastern European countries, their people had to get visas to go to Canada and the U.S., and they didn't require it on a reciprocity basis. Yeah, yeah, because they knew that it, w it was in their interest to have rich Westerners throw their money away there. Uh, and that's what you do. If you're, if you're a poorer country, because it always comes down to, this visa business always comes down to your GDP per capita. Yeah. Once G GDP per capita passes a certain point, then v visas are no longer required because the risk that your people will stay there illegally diminishes. Uh, but you want to have rich people come in your country and spend money. But the Russian government uh, has never felt that way. Ukraine does that now. Uh, you don't need a visa to go to Ukraine. Uh, Westerners don't, uh -huh. because they've figured that out, or they know that, and that it was more important to get the money in than to have you know, the, the pride. So we saw those things. So on the one hand, in the nineties was a, it was a period of it was rather chaotic in Russia. Okay, yeah. Yeltsin. Uh, yeah. Crazy things happened. We I was there during the crisis, and I had. I had 20 million. Uh, yeah, but uh, I I think we we were free, but uh, it was it was very very instable time for, for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, I think we're almost out of time here. Uh, it was unstable. Yeah. Um, but that was inevitable uh -huh. uh, because of the changes that had to be made. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think what people don't maybe we can talk about next time. What people don't concentrate on is how bad it could have been. We saw Yugoslavia blow up. Yeah, yeah. Come something horrible that nobody in the 70s would have imagined. Because remember, from our point of view in the West, Yugoslavia was the quote-unquote good communist country. Yeah. <laughs> it was, they could leave the country, their people freely left Yugoslavia to travel. Yeah. Eases were a uh, formality. They gave yeah. it to you on the border if you wanted it. Yeah. It was easy. But uh, uh, but the but the fate of Yugoslavia in in nineties is horrible, yeah. It was terrible because the the fundamental problems of Yugoslavia, the ethnic problems, yeah. were, were uh, dealt with properly. They had terrible problems in World War Two with the Croats doing terrible things to the Serbs, and uh, and then of course the Nazis using the the Bosnians, and those things were pushed under the carpet by Tito, and in the nineteen sixties and seventies. 
as long as you didn't oppose Tito openly and say bad things, nobody nobody cared what you said. Yeah, you just couldn't. He was like a king. You couldn't say anything bad about the Shah, but if you wanted to talk about his ministers, nobody gave a damn. And nobody would have predicted, because they didn't know the history, that once he left the scene, uh-huh. um, that all those nationalists, whether they be Croat nationalists or Serbian nationalists or Bosnian, they would tear the whole thing apart and go crazy. But Russia could have been awful, yeah. uh, especially a country with nuclear weapons. Yeah, of course, yeah. Absolutely a disaster. Yeah. So I think sometimes we have to think about that Yeltsin, he did a lot of blundering, a lot of mistakes, uh, uh, and it was a terrible time for lots of Russians. Yeah. Could have been a lot worse. It probably came out okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what I can say. It was a time of uh, enormous you know, experimentation. It was an extreme pleasure. I mean, once you got your visa, an extreme pleasure to visit. Uh, it was wonderful for you know, businessmen if you had some money. And it was a good time for a certain type of Russian who had some language skills yeah. and some business education. They could make a big career. Uh, and yeah, business education, maybe business inclination, maybe. Yeah. Or business inclination, because we trained a lot of people, especially women. At AT&T, we, we trained a lot of because the women employees were more reliable than the men. Uh, I, yeah, yeah trained a lot of them, and I'm not talking uh, secretarial work, I'm talking about uh, all sorts of uh, program work, uh, technical work, highly paid. I mean, we were paying people in the 90s, I mean, I hired a guy in 1996 to uh, be my assistant in Moscow, and I was paying him $25,000 a year, that was a lot of money then. Yeah. And uh, he ended up making about seventy-five, eighty thousand before we closed it down. So there was high pay, and they were traveling all over. They were getting a good education, good experience, and and I can remember in the two thousands yeah. when I yeah. worked for uh, for Citibank. Okay, I, maybe uh, about the uh, your your experience from two thousands. Uh, uh, we will speak uh, next time. Okay. I think we've gone over our time. Very sorry. Okay, okay. So may, uh, maybe for for today now, but but I thank you. Yeah, because it was very it was very interesting story. Okay. Thanks a lot. Okay, so till the next time. Okay, see you later. Yeah, see you later. Bye-bye.